Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Welcome to Shared History. Let's talk about history. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things from history. Let's talk about history. I uh, I didn't know that that was a tagline or a theme song. <laughs> it was, uh, I think, our longest to date. I, I mean, I'll take it. We were just saying that uh, the, there's always like just a moment because I never know which of those casts is going to serve me. We've got we've got a big spreadsheet that we made like forever ago and yeah. randomly add to, but I pick one at random. Yeah, and so there's always just like a moment of silence or me going mm-hmm, after <laughs> after I hear the selection. Are you, are you proud of yourself? The goal the goal is always great when I really weird out Natalie, but most of the time when that happens, I break during it. So. It happens, man. It happens. I'm pretty easy to break, though. Yeah. I'm less easy to weird out. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, I am very easy to break, and I'm your host, Cass Maher. And I'm that other host that's very easy to break, Nat Younger. And living on the ones and twos. And a hot cocoa. Da, 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 DJ Rip. Da, 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 Rip, 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 once you just we just did Carol of the Rips. <laughs> you do rip that many times; it doesn't sound like anything. <laughs> um, so, so we sounds like you're like a bird car. <laughs> so I don't know what a bird car is. We did a we did a. This might be starting out too inappropriate, too early in the episode. But we, well, I guess we should we should say. I, Natalie, I'm telling a solo story this episode, so feel free to start inappropriately because somehow this happens anytime I have the reins anyway. Natalie's- so it's a nice change to have it be you that introduces something inappropriate. So, so we we had a, a live episode out in Naperville a few weeks ago, and we uh, Rip, Natalie, and her husband Justin carpooled up. I took the Metro, and they picked me up, and then mm-hmm. we all drove back together, and we had a fun little road trip and an evening and everything. And when you guys picked me up, we just always end up talking about how DJ Rip is like the star of the show oh, and yes, how much I, we love it. And we're I like, was like, what inappropriate thing from like, that evening could be coming up? Now? We're like, we're like, Rip probably just has fangirls. Like, I bet his demographic is just like 43 to 63 year old women. And they're just loving and hounding him. And we're like, what would Rip's? Like fans be called like like Benedict Cumberbatch has like the, the yeah, Cumberbitches and was it Justin that said it? Uh, it he was. said he said DJ Strip and then I said DJ, DJ strippers. strippers. So if you're a fan <laughs> of DJ Rip, you're a you're DJ, DJ stripper. stripper. Sorry, Rip's mom. <laughs> Trust me, she'll never hear this. Just a general sorry. And my ego's too big to take this out. So <laughs> <laughs> I do think it is a little. Too much. So, uh, friends and fam, please submit. Submit. We'll do a, a contest to see what uh, Rips fangirls and boys are going to yeah. be called and fan people. Yeah, maybe the winners will get stickers if I get them made. Otherwise, we're, we're, you'll get our 
appreciation. Undying love and affection. And a shout out. And uh, naming rights to my firstborn. Uh, which, yeah. if I don't like it, I'm just naming the kid DJ Rip. So, yeah. so, so deal with it. But Natalie, you're you're doing a solo up. I am. I did a solo up last weekend. You're doing a solo up this weekend. Yes, and I thought, you know, it's it's cold out there. <laughs> we got the hot cocoa. You're uh, all jacked up on hot cocoa. I'm so jacked up on hot cocoa. And uh, so I thought that I would do something to make us maybe feel warmer because we're not as cold as the people in this story were. What um, is going on? Uh, take you to the Titanic. A little oh. known history. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Billy Zane! Do you, can we just talk about Billy Zane for 45 minutes? Because I could talk about Billy Zane for 45 minutes. Oh. Did you know the first movie he was ever in was Back to the Future? Um, we did can't, you know? We can't, I'm sorry. We can't talk about Billy Zane for 45 minutes. Did you know that I wrote a 10-minute scene I do know about because I saw a it. Billy Zane fangirl who just ran on stage in a purple morph suit and screamed about Billy Zane for 10 minutes and I've never been more proud of anything in my entire life. I know because I saw that sketch twice. <laughs> it makes me so happy. Billy Zane! Billy Zane! Sorry. This isn't about Billy Zane. You shut your mouth, but but it could, ahead. It, it could eventually be about Kevin Bacon. You'll see why. You can't drop All right. Titanic and then just not... Ex- okay, I'm sorry. Hold okay. on. I take I'm you going to chug some hot chocolate. I take you to Nome, Alaska, early winter, 1924. Though greatly diminished from the fizzle out of the gold rush, Nome was still the largest city in northern Alaska at that point. I'm bad at geography, but Nome is real far up there. <laughs> uh, it's like, I want to say, I think my research said two miles from the Arctic Circle. Oh, wow. Um, so at this time, it's the largest city in northern Alaska with 455 Alaska natives and 975 settlers of European descent. Um, winter has begun. That's the wind. Is Fanny Pemberton there? Uh, always. She's everywhere. Um, the winter has begun. The port has closed for the season and will be icebound until next July. What? So this is like November. Planes like exist, but like there's only like three planes in, um, there's only like three really planes in all of this area of Alaska, and they're like open cockpit, not so you're not fly. flying them yeah. in the in the cold times, and like their their gas would like their engines would freeze, um, and the people who are good at flying them are uh, like more are back in like the continental U.S. at this point um, for the season. So the at this point in the year, and also snowmobiles don't exist for like another 30 years. Um, so the only way to and from Nome is via the Iditarod Trail. Yes! A 923-mile... A oh, I didn't do kilometers. Wow. I do it later. I do it later. Uh, Cass, pulled up. 923 um, miles? Yeah, a 923 miles. I think it's something like 1,100 kilometers, 1,200 kilometers. 923 miles. 1,400 kilometers. For our fans abroad. Yeah. A 923 mile, 1,400 kilometer dog sledding trail that runs from Seward to Nome through several mountain ranges. It's a lot. Um, ordinarily, this would be fine because dog sledding was the primary form of transportation and like shipping supplies and whatnot in Alaska during this time anyway. 
Um, except Dr. Curtis Welch, the only doctor in Nome, had recently discovered that his town's entire supply of diphtheria antitoxin had, in fact, expired. And his order for more didn't make it to Nome before the port closed for the season. Yeah. And that port closed till July. Um, That's too long to have diphtheria yeah. for. So Also, check your expiration dates, people. So dip, just don't Google diphtheria. Oh, no. <laughs> the pictures, I ugh, I clicked through on the Wikipedia, and I wish I hadn't. But well, I got it's to. a bacterial infection that mainly affects the nose and throat. Uh, left untreated, don't do it. Don't Because the legions are the worst. Uh, left untreated, it can prove fatal. Nowadays, it's super rare because most people are vaccinated. Um, that wasn't the case in most 1925. Most people. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, hold on. I'm clicking images. Don't do it. Oh, yeah. I honestly didn't really see anything. I just got scared, so I exited right away. <laughs> I saw a tongue, and I was like, no. So uh, they, they don't. So they were. Which is what happens every time I see a tongue. You're like, no. Oh. <laughs> you keep that in your mouth where it belongs. <laughs> Um, so their entire source, like their entire stock of diphtheria antitoxin was expired. Um, and it's, and so Dr. Welch orders more, but it doesn't come before November when the port closes. Uh, it gets stuck probably. I think it gets, it gets stuck further South in the continental United States. Um, so December, now it's December, 1924. Dr. Welch treats a couple of kids for what he initially diagnoses as uh, tonsillitis. They can present kind of similarly because both of them mostly affect the nose and throat. Um, and he was like, surely this isn't diphtheria because that's super contagious. And these kids are coming in with it, but like not the entire school and not like their entire families, like people, it's very contagious. It's contagious through the air. So they're like, he's like, there would be more cases if it was diphtheria. Yeah. Um, so he's like, I think it's tonsillitis. A few of these children die. Uh, in January, he diagnosed diphtheria. He actually diagnosed something has diphtheria for the first time. The little boy who he diagnosed died within a couple of days of becoming ill because seriously, it's real fast. Um, and in a kid, so yeah. much worse. Um, so then he diagnoses a little girl. He tries to give her some of the expired antitoxin, hoping that like it could have some effect yeah. um, and abate the the illness a little bit. Um, it doesn't. She dies that same day. Uh, and so um, <laughs> this is my B. Um, Dr. Dr. Welch and Mayor George Maynard call an emergency town hall meeting. The town, town council institutes a quarantine, um, and they start to figure out how they can – stop the imminent epidemic. Yeah. Um, so even with the quarantine, new cases of diphtheria pop up uh, regularly, uh, are popping up regularly. And given the population of Nome and the surrounding uh, regions of, of Alaska natives, it was, uh, it was calculated that without the antitoxin, an epidemic w- and outbreak would have a mortality rate of 100%. Like not one person who got it would oh not would gosh. survive. Um, so they're like, uh, how will we get the antitoxin? Let me guess. The Iditarod. By dog sled, BB. That's so funny because I, 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 everyone, not everyone, I knew the Iditarod was a race that they do every Mm -hmm. year. I didn't know this is, is this where it originated? No. Um, some of the sources I read and I use like Wikipedia and BBC and History Channel, uh, websites as like primary sources for this story. 
Um, a couple of them conflict. History Channel says like, yeah, this is like what inspired the race. Um, but like a couple of the other things said, no, this isn't what ins- the founders of the Iditarod race say that they were more of inspired just to bring back the glory days of dog sledding and to bring back the noble tradition of dog sledding because and they at just that had this point, track. So that's what they yeah, used at the okay. point that the race started, like dog sledding had really like fallen by the wayside because yeah. once they had, um, I think they're called brush brush planes. Like that's how they did all the supply runs. And they're like, we had this great tradition in this, in this state. So the, excuse me, the Iditarod was, a trail. It's the trail. So the okay. Iditarod race does that trail. It okay, goes from so, sewer to Nome. So it's so it's the name of the trail that they used, and so the Iditarod race is called that because they are using the Iditarod trail. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so here's the here's the plan, and this is like becomes a lot of like best laid plans. But here's the plan: a dog sled relay using the using the two fastest teams. One would depart from. Nanana and the other from Nome, and they'd meet in the middle at New Lado, Alaska. Alaska. I'm going to pronounce all these towns wrong. I know I'm saying Nome, right? Alaska? Alaska. What if it's Nome? No, it's Nome. Are you sure? I do know. Okay. <laughs> uh, it would be hilarious now that I said that if I was wrong, but I, I've. Nome I've, spelled N O M E. Yes. Not like the small woodland fairy. <laughs> no, not like, not like a gnome. Um, just like Nat is spelled N-A-T, not like a gnat. Uh, <laughs> glad we got that right in the mic. Little snort, mic. So the trip from uh, Nulato to Nome typically took 30 days, though the record was nine days. What? I feel like that's wait, a broad range. Wait, what? Um, but that's the tri- That's the record from Nulato, which is in the middle of this of what they were going to have to cover to Nome. The record from Nome to Nulato going the other way from Nome to like the middle spot. The record was four days. Because it's downhill. Yeah, sure. uh, uh, literally part of it they're going across a frozen sound. So like maybe it's just because they're on ice and not cool with they're that. Just sliding. Yeah. Uh, this- I've seen frozen. I know how that happens. I mean, it helps if you have powers. Uh, <laughs> let it go, Natalie. Uh, I, hey, but I can't. Hey. Um, you know what? I will this time. For the first time in forever, I will let it go. <laughs> uh, this plan was the idea of Mark Summers, not Mark Summers with the C, like double dare Mark Summers. This is Mark Summers with a K. <laughs> Just in case anyone thought Classic that Mark Nick. Summers from Nickelodeon was hanging out in 1925 Alaska. Uh, but he was the superintendent of the Hemen Consolidated Goldfields. Uh, and he, his employee was actually the guy who had set that four-day record of that stretch from Nome to Nulato mm-hmm. um, uh, with his badass pooches by 12, uh, led by lead sled dog, 12-year-old Siberian Husky. 12 years old? 12-year-old Siberian Husky. Do not Husky. say it. Do not say Balto. Good, I won't, because it's not Balto. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> His name. Swerve. Yeah, did that on purpose. This is Togo. This is Togo. Oh, I love that. And uh, and his his uh, musher or driver, Leonard Seppala, who's Norwegian, if you wanted to know that. Um, <gasps> Seppala. I just pulled up a picture of Togo. He's, He's very beautiful. Cute. Very cute boy. Very good boy. Um <laughs> 
Seppala, Togo, and team were chosen for the run because they had one, they had the record, and they were also just like considered some of the like the best dog sled team in yeah. the area. Um, so they were chosen to do the hardest stretch of the run, uh, which was 630 miles or 1,014 uh, kilometers. Um, so that's just from Nome to Nulato. It was going to be the longest leg of this relay was going to be this one team. And most of the other teams were doing like f- like 15 to like 75 miles at a time. And mm-hmm. he was going to do 630 casual. He's um, a hero. So the U.S. Oh, no. Is this... What? Is the dog gonna die in the story? <laughs> Did, are you Marley and me? No, us? I would trigger warn if the okay if the, if the just, dog died. You know, if you're watching I mean, a movie and, and there's a dog in it, the dog's gonna die. So I just like listen, Cass. The dog has died since then. Well, yeah, he's 12 years old, and it was 1925. Why is it so cold in here? Oh, the window is open. So is that door? I, like, I really had to build that one up. I was like, it's not cold. I took my sweater it's off. It's actually very warm. Um, that was a long walk. <laughs> that was a long walk. About, about 600 miles. I hate it. Um, so the U.S. Post Office Inspector was tasked with arranging the relay and choosing the best drivers and dog sled teams uh, to run day and night to get the uh, antitoxin to Nome. Or to get to, to Nolato, and then he was going to come from Nome to Nolato, get it, and go back. Mm. So that's why it was the longest leg, because it was uh, out and back. Um, why, why the U.S. post office inspector was in charge of this? Why? Because mail carriers were actually the best dog mushers in Alaska. I mean, that checks out. Uh, yeah. And the relay was going to be running on the mail route, basically. Can we just give a shout out to mail men and women and people? Because those people, I grew up in Iowa, so they were trudging through stuff in their little shorts and man, those, mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen a male person without killer calves doing the work. Rocking those shorts. <laughs> um, so the route was going to be crossing the barren Alaska interior following the uh, Tanana and Yukon rivers over the Kaltag portage. Um, and then following the southern shore of the Seward Peninsula with no protection from gales and blizzards. Oh, my God. Including a 42-mile, 68 kilometers for our listeners abroad, um, stretch across the shifting ice of the Bering Sea. So it's not going to be fun. (laughs) No, it's not going to be fun. Or warm. Uh, So so Dr. Welch in Nome has determined that the antitoxin can survive up to six days max in these conditions. Those oh, six God, days. I forgot that they got to get the yeah. the antitoxins. The, there's so many stakes right now. There's so many stakes. Have you ever seen the movie Vertical Limit? I'm just <laughs> on edge the whole time. I'm <laughs> feeling like that right now. Uh, those six days are being reserved for the final <laughs> run. Thank you. Sorry. I just want to say that Rip is laughing. Because you brought up Vertical Limit. <laughs> Um, those six days that the antitoxin can survive in the conditions are being reserved for the final leg of the run because during which um, Sapala and Togo basically won't be able to stop. Are you just going to show me vertical limit or just Cass <laughs> just slowly turned her laptop to me and I was like, it's either going to be Togo or vertical limit. Chris O'Donnell and uh, this isn't about him, Cass. Bill Paxton. Oh. Quit stealing Togo's thunder. R.I.P. Bill Paxton. R.I.P. Togo. Oh, but Togo too. Um, Sorry. So, Lock it uh, up, Cass. So, meanwhile, the U.S. Public Health Service located 1.1 million units of the antitoxin across, uh, along the West Coast and started trying to get it up to Alaska. 
um, to get the relay started. But that shipment wasn't going to reach Seward, the starting point, until at least a week or two into February. So this is like beginning of January and like a handful of children have already died. Yeah. Uh, so the diphtheria would have reached epidemic status by then. Luckily, a doctor in Anchorage found 300,000 units of spare antitoxin in the basement of their hospital. <laughs> Just found them. Sorry, uh, in, our, in our live episode that we did. Oh, everything's about, about basements? Everything's about basements. Natalie was like messing around in the basement in high school and she came across, across like a... If they want to listen to it, graveyard. If they want to listen to the story, but we like just got done talking about all this basement stuff, so it made me laugh. Yeah, you never know what your listeners. You never know what you're going to find in your basement. Could be a mummy. Could be three (laughs) hundred thousand units of antitoxin of of diphtheria antitoxin. Um, So he's he he wraps them up, uh, gets them on a train to Nanana, and so the relay begins. The initial shipment. Na, um, na, na, or this initial na. shipment. This no, 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 no. Sorry, Cass. There are, I, there are lives at stake. I'm so sorry. And I would be lying if I didn't say that I thought that, <laughs> but then edited it out yeah, of my. That is where you and I differ, Natalie. <laughs> Especially if it comes to a song <laughs> reference, I'll be like, "Now it's not the time." And oh, I'm Cass like, is already doing it. It's always the time for me. Um, so this shipment of 300,000 units would be enough to treat roughly, uh, 30 patients, not enough to solve the problem, but enough to keep it at bay and keep it from becoming a full scale epidemic until the larger shipment would arrive in February. Mm -hmm. Um, so the antitoxins put in vials, the vials are wrapped in quilts. They're stored in the metal cylinder for some reason. Uh, all told the package weighs about 20 pounds, 9.1 kilograms. Thank you. Uh, the relay, uh, though, like I said, was kind of just a cycle of best laid plans going to waste because uh, it's Alaska in January. There were horrific storms, blinding conditions, oh my God. Uh, a whole lot of frostbite. Several of the mushers like <laughs> would have like had they would like stop at their checkpoints and somebody would have to like pour water over their hands to detach their <gasps> hands from the sleds. Um, lots of hypothermia. There are a couple of dogs who passed on on the trip. Um, n- new cases of diphtheria in Nome, which then sparked the governor to send out additional drivers just to, to so that they. Wait, could- where's where's Togo in all of this? Togo's Togo's waiting for his leg. So he's, he's waiting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's waiting for the baton. Yeah. Um. Uh. So so the governor sends out like additional drivers. Um, so that they didn't have to, they wouldn't have to like break for rest. They could just like hand off to another prepared team more efficiently. Um, but the problem was that because it's Alaska and communications already not great between some of these milestones because they're so far apart right. and there's a storm. Um, is there a phone system? There's a, it's mostly telegraph. I was going to say, um, so there's like, there is phone, but like as most ever, most of the messages are being communicated okay. through telegraph. Um, so, so, so what would happen is he'd send out more drivers, but the, but the sleds that were out there didn't know that there were these other relief drivers coming through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like they didn't know about them because there was no communication once they were out in the like frozen wasteland. Um, so Sepala and Togo, who were handling the, the most treacherous part of the route, the shortcut 
over the Norton Sound. Was it just two dogs per per No, no, no. Seppala's the dude, and then Togo's the lead dog. The lead dog. Okay. So, like, I mean, mad respect to the rest of that dog team. Right. But, like, Togo was their lead dog. Togo was the lead dog. Um, uh, They had to literally be chased down on their stretch of it because they thought they had, like, another 100 miles to go because that was the plan. Yeah. But uh, another team... They didn't know that another team had been, like, released early to come and head them off a little bit and save them that 100 miles. Uh, So, like, literally that team had to be like, the serum. We have the serum. Um, uh, Fun fact, that team had gotten tangled up in a reindeer. Uh, (laughs) Merry Christmas. What's Wait, hold on. There's a a reindeer song from Frozen. (laughs) People Reindeers are better than people. We can't let we cannot do Disney. Uh, that is that is tempting the beast. Um, so so he's like, "Hello, I have the serum. I'm over here." Uh, the serum is that serum is then passed. Uh, so later on down the road, that serum is passed to Gunnar Casson and his team, led by Balto. Wait, Balto was a real-ass dog? Yeah, Balto was a real-ass dog. Maybe I would know this if I saw the movie. Yeah, literally this entire episode is predicated on the fact that I knew you weren't going to have seen Balto. Did you do this just to have a full episode to shame me for not seeing Balto? Yes, but at the end of this story, I feel a little ashamed about my love of Balto. But I, well, but, that's petty, but I respect it. Yeah, so now we have a reason to all watch Balto as um, a pod fam. Because Balto's gravestone, it says Balto, a yeah, real-ass dog. A real-ass dog. <laughs> But it says on the monument to Balto in Central yeah. Park. It that, says that Marie Curie visited, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we there's it's a there's songs in Balto, right? Mm-mm. Oh, well, it's that's not. probably why I haven't seen. Wow, it. Uh, but he's voiced by Kevin Bacon. Oh, that's where. So, oh, that's where Kevin comes in. That's where this. Kevin comes Six in. Six degrees is how warm it was. So. Hey-o! So Gunnar, it's no. I'll get to what the temperature was in just a moment. Oh, actually. No. Uh, Gunnar Casson and his team led by Balto uh, they take the vials in the middle of a powerful blizzard winds of 80 miles an hour 130 kilometers an hour wind chill <laughs> negative 70 Fahrenheit negative uh, 57 Celsius I was just looking at Fahrenheit to Celsius uh, to help you out don't you worry got I got that I just was missing that first one for some reason um, uh, Welch, the doctor in Nome, had ordered a stop to the relay until the storm passed because he was like, "Listen, a delay is better than you losing all, all of it. all of these." Yeah. Well, then, so what? How many days have passed? Like, what's our time frame here right now? Here's at this thing. point, when Balto gets it, when Balto gets it, I can look that up. I I was gonna like go through like the whole relay because all of these teams are amazing and all of these and they all have like interesting stories, but like it was. It would. It's already a lot. It would have been a lot more. But so um, this happened within like four so days. So this, like so days. this, this relay starts January twenty seventh. We get to Cassin and Balto on February first. Okay, so this is okay. So it's happening quick. Yeah, as quick as can be. Yeah. Um. So, so, yeah. Uh. And it was still going to be the the uh, the one million units that were coming from Seattle. Right. Um, so, so, so he's like, you know what? Hang out at this stop. Don't go like a delay is better. We don't want to lose all the antitoxin. And so this is the stop that Cassin was handed the vials at was at this where he's supposed to like kind of wait to go out. Um, and he waited, 
but it just, the storm was just getting worse. So he left at 10 p.m. that night and just went out in the thick of it. Cause he's like, it just keeps getting worse. I'm not, if I'm waiting, I'm going to be waiting like a whole day. Yeah. We don't have that. So he heads out into a headwind, uh, travels through the night through drifts and river overflow over the 600 foot, uh, uh, 183 meters, uh, 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 Topcock or Topcock, who knows? T O P K O K mountain. Um, uh, he leads the team through visibility so poor that Casson said he couldn't see the dogs, the closest dog harness to him on the sled. Like oh he, he's gosh. like, I can't even see this dog. And Balto's, and Balto's, like, Balto's like, like, I got, I this. got you. Follow me. Uh, he overshot. He overshot his stop at Solomon, which was like the next stop he was supposed to stop at by two miles, uh, three kilometers. Um, and before, he, like, by the t- by the time he realized that he was two miles away, so he's just like, fuck it. And he just kept going. Wait, seriously? Yeah. Uh, he reached, and I, th- I don't think he was supposed to do a handoff there. I think it was just like, he was supposed to stop and take you a break. Take a break. Yeah. Um, he reached the next stop point safety, uh, ahead of schedule. This is February 2nd at 3am. Um, and I'm like the, so on edge right And the now. team that he was supposed to hand it off to thought that the relay was stuck at Solomon because he hadn't he received expected, an update oh. from Solomon. So he he was asleep. Um, and oh. so Kassin, there's like two versions of this story. One is that like what Kassin maintains that he's like, I'm not going to wake him up. It would take longer to wake him up, get their dogs ready, hand it off and have him go. And he was like, I felt fine. The weather was starting to get better. The dogs were like moving really well. So we're, we, he just kept oh going. Oh my gosh. Um, other people say like that it was like a glory move of like he wanted to be the last because this is the last leg now yeah. that he wasn't supposed to be the last, the very mm-hmm. last leg into a, um, so, so this uh, this other guy's team is snoozing, um, and so Kassin and Balto just keep going for the remaining twenty five miles, forty kilometers to Nome, reaching Front Street at five thirty a.m. with every vial of antitoxin intact, thawed and ready to administer by noon that day. Uh, it kept the epidemic as expected under control until the next relay could get completed. That full shipment didn't end up arriving until February fifteenth. So, like they would have been pretty screwed. Yeah. Um, and to- also when you said they made it rip, just did the most glorious frat snap. I just needed to say that there it, should also be a drinking we game were called so every time we call out a frat snap <laughs> in this. <laughs> I mean, our drinking game list is getting pretty listeners is if anyone is playing the drinking game, we're sorry. Or, or if you're like, Ooh, that's a drinking game reference. Um, Hats off to you and let us know because I'm really curious. Yeah, tell us how your liver yet. is. Don't send us the medical bill. <laughs> um, so uh, together, all of the teams of this relay, because there was a second relay to bring the, the, rest. the rest up yeah. once, it, once it got to uh, Seward. Um, the teams covered uh, 674 miles, 1,085 kilometers in 127 and a half hours. Uh, which was considered a world record done in extreme sub-zero temperatures in near-blizzard conditions, crossing literal ice flows. Um, Togo, at one point, had to basically navigate, literally, like, save... I think he had to save Seppala, his the driver, like, on ice flows. Um, and, oh, my God. And, but, so this is all also, like, hurricane-force winds. Um, also, this is another example of just, like, these dogs aren't just, like... I'm going to run straight until my leader says turn left. And then, you know, like, like the dogs are doing, steering, yeah. they're steering. Um, 
there's I like looked up some stuff on kind of like like why these dogs were particularly good for this and like when uh when they started using uh specifically started using like what we call Siberian huskies um or like Alaskan Malamutes as well um and it's just like Malamutes were literally bred for hauling freight were stockier but pound for pound the Siberians could pull faster yeah um and so everything is just rooted in their size and shape, but then also extreme training. Well, because I was going to say, because it's not just that you train them how to sled. It's they probably train them to know this trail specifically very well. But well. they also have to know other trails because they're not just doing Iditarod all the time. Right, like, they're but, also just going around. Yeah, but, but they know. Like, so they know. It's like, mm-hmm. like so when, was Sepala, what's his name? Seppala and Togo. Seppala. When he like couldn't see anything, Togo probably just instinct was like, I know we're supposed to go this way. Yeah. Yeah. Togo's a damn hero. So so people get upset because um, so afterwards, well, so first of all, yeah. So despite the attention lavi- like that just was thrown at Kassan and Balto, many mushers consider Seppala and Togo to be the true heroes because they see this is why I won't watch Balto because I'm team Togo. Uh, They covered the longest, and the most treacherous leg of the journey and they made a round trip. um, This is what's confusing is it's, they made a round trip of two of 261 miles, 420 kilometers from Nome to Shaktulik and back to Golovin um, and delivered the serum uh, they had oh, okay. They only had the serum for a total of ninety-one miles, um, one hundred forty-six kilometers, which is almost double the distance covered by Balto. Like right. Balto only has the serum. Let me look at this thing. Um, Balto only has the serum. He only travels a total of fifty-three miles. Yeah, uh, with the serum, so that's eighty-five kilometers. Do you know what I was going to try? And. Uh, Togo Togo has it for n- almost 100 miles, uh, around 150 kilometers. Oh, my gosh. Um, so afterwards, like, both, like, all of the dogs got, like, recognized by President Coolidge. And a lot of treats. Oh, and, so many treats and, and good, good pats. pats. <laughs> uh, and some good scritches. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but both, only, uh, only three teams ever went on, like, tour, um, Togo, Balto, and then, uh, you mean like victory tours? Yeah. Basically. Like the women's yeah. team was yeah. like, Hey, we just won the world cup. We're going to play for all of you. It's like, yeah. Well, cause it's like 1920. Hey, we just saved a bunch of children and now we will race for all of you. Yeah. I was like, now we will go to state fairs for more pets. <laughs> um, and then the only other dog that ever tried to go on tour and it was like short lived was, um, the tour, not the dog. The dog I was just going to say. Um, was the first dog of the very first, like the lead dog of the first, like that team, um, that dog's name is Blackie. Um, and his, uh, his, the driver's wild Bill Shannon, I think is what his <laughs> name was. Um, so maybe his tour was short lived because he was so wild. <laughs> um, but none of the other usher, mushers went on tour. The media largely ignored, of course, the Alaskan native mushers. Um, Naturally. Who covered two thirds of the distance for, to Nome. But, uh, uh, and, but also to them, uh, according to one account, it was like, it was, quote, just an everyday occurrence as far as they were concerned that they're like, yeah, we often have to transport important things large different distances in, in very, horrible yeah. conditions um but 
so both Balto and Togo, when they passed, their remains were stuffed and put on display. Um, Balto was in Cleveland because that's where he was when he died. He had like a vaudeville act, basically. He was in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, it was actually really sad. Like his team, when his when Casson wanted to go back to Alaska, he sold the team because so that the team could t- continue to go on tours and whatnot. And so they just basically became like show dogs. They just basically became like the D list thing at like a freak show. Like they would just be like in a corner. They'd be like, look at these dogs. And so mm. the, uh, I, I can't remember where, but like in, they were in Ohio and some like somebody in Ohio was like, this is bullshit. And, and, paid for them and like bought them back and like Aww. so that they could live out the rest of their days more comfortably so that's why balto is in cleveland although alaska has been like bring back balto and has launched bring many things to try and get balto back no no we had to get like missing somehow okay no this is about balto um so Balto is a statue in Central Park. Uh, the park is the the statue looks like Balto, um, but is wearing Togo's like awards that Togo received. <gasps> what? Um, but to be fair, the plaque underneath it isn't like Balto specific. The okay. plaque underneath it is like in memory and honor of uh, all Ooh, like the brave Balto slog dads. Um, they he also a cute boy. Uh, he's like he's he is sturdy. I think Togo is in Alaska. I think Togo's remains wound up in Alaska. Um, oh, I'm, uh, dear readers, I'm looking at the Balto statue. Yeah. Because <laughs> you all can see what I'm seeing. Yeah. Clearly. Uh, before you could see the Balto statue, like on a map in Central Park, like basically before Google Maps were good, um, I like just wandered Central. Anytime I was in Central Park, I would just wander Central Park until I found Balto because I could never remember where he was. Right. Uh, his statue has an appearance in the opening and closing of uh, Balto the movie. There's like a little bit of live action in the movie. Oh, is there really? Yeah. At the beginning. That's probably why I haven't seen it. I hate um, mixed media. But the whole, the whole like story of Balto is done animated. It's just yeah. these bookends have a cute old lady and kid. Um, so the 1995 animated movie. Uh, it's loosely based on the journey, but for some reason they make Balto, they try to make him even more of an underdog. And so he's a, he's a wolf dog hybrid who like nobody trusts to run on their team because he's wild. <clears throat> um, like wild Bill Shannon. Yeah. Um, and he's voiced by Kevin Bacon. But uh, at, the, at all times. Do you mean they tried to make him a bit of a fixer upper? No. <laughs> Uh, Nailed it. I actually wouldn't be surprised. Rip is leaving. Rip is just straight up leave. He quit. (laughs) Bye. Just keep it recording while you go. I'm sure we'll be fine. Let me know if you have questions. Okay. Where's your hot cocoa? Nope. Taking that with me. Oh no. Um, But yeah. So so I will say that as feel your feelings about uh, Balto getting a lot of credit. Um, Togo did also get a bunch of credit and treats, um, and treats. Everybody got treats and scritches. (laughs) Um, they are making, Disney is making a live action Togo movie, uh, with Willem Dafoe as, uh, Seppala the musher. So he will, he will be, he will be given the story he deserves once and for all. Um, but also guys like, Balto, 
such a great movie. I need to watch it. I know this. It just I makes will. me so happy. I rewatched it for the first time in a while, like a year ago. And I was like, I'm happy. Because love is an open door. There's, of course, like an really unnecessary unfeed. love story with like a local dog and Balto. <laughs> he has like he has like a friend um, who's a goose uh, with a thick Russian accent. I want, I'm going to guess that the goose's name is Boris. I can't remember right now. Um, but it's a delight. Uh, and a joy. And because of the real life Balto and Togo and uh, all of those other good boys, uh, the official diphtheria deaths from that, from that outbreak were listed publicly as like only five to seven deaths. Um, but when it could have been. It could have been like the whole town. Yeah. Uh, but Dr. Welch estimates that it was actually probably a hundred or so higher than that because the Alaskan natives living on the outskirts of the town didn't tend to report all their deaths and right. would bury their children before and before they could report oh, it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so very good boys. Um, this is a story of very good boys. But uh, the goose was named Boris and was voiced by Bob Hoskins, a treasure of stage and screen. Treasure. See, I believe stage. I'm, she has here to be. are the yeah. reasons. See, just another reason for everyone to watch Balto. And also, it's not Disney, which means that it won't have disappeared off of Netflix because of Disney Plus. So it might well, rock the vault. It was uh, Universal Amblin, so it might go. Oh, so it might to still the Peacock. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Is but... it Don Bluth? What? Um, the Balto. I assume if a movie is came out in the early nineties, is very good under is very good underrated, and it's not Disney, then it's Don Bluth. Mm. Because I just learned about him, uh, not super recent, but pretty recently. Bridget and I've, Fonda, I've got Phil some. Collins? Oh wait, I actually have it up. It's, I got some it was a, Don Bluth fans. It was an American British live action animated adventure. Uh, is Bluth? I don't know who that is. Is he like a producer or what? So is he? Don Bluth, because it's directed by Simon Wells. <laughs> uh, Don Bluth was a an animator and director, and he did movies such as, um, oh my gosh, he did the he was the assistant animator for the original Sleeping Beauty in 1959. He did Sword in the Stone. He did Thumbelina, Troll in Central Park, oh, Pebble I love and the Penguin, Thumbelina. Anastasia. Titan AE, like he did Anastasia. all of those. Anastasia. Grandmama, it's, it's me, Anastasia. Um, so he did all the kind of like creepy, eerie ones from the. I love Thumbelina. Thumbelina. Um, yeah, so everyone, uh, pour yourself a cup of hot cocoa and pour a little bit out. Pour a little out for Togo and Balto, um, and uh, and and enjoy the the movie Balto. Maybe Cass will eventually watch it. Thank you, Natalie. I've been I've been bad about just watching movies and TV shows in general that I need to come up, uh, catch up on, but this is further incentive to watch Balto because it's important to you. Yes. So now it's important to me. He make me happy. <laughs> um, and then I'm we giving, can all I'm go, giving DJ Rip scratches right we now. We can all who's a good boy. <laughs> who's a good DJ? And we can all go see Togo when it comes out. Yeah. I'll do a little outing. A little pod fam outing. Um, and yeah, that's the story of Balto. I thought it was a nice wintry tale. I, you know what? I never really, I, I probably knew Balto was real, but I was like, I just 
You just ignore it because I, it's something I, I keep talking about. I wouldn't have thought that it was like history. Like mm-hmm. there is this great historical story behind it. So I'm like, I can't believe she made that into a history story. And then I'm like, of course she was able to throw it in yep. to this podcast. Yep. I almost, I thought about doing just the whole story about Balto. And then I was like, no, it's it doesn't, it, just talking about, I was going to just talk about Togo and Balto, but just talking about them outside of yeah. the 1925 serum run to Nome doesn't make sense. In the movie, do they talk about the the serum run and everything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the movie yeah. T- the movie is like framed around that, but like cuz that is like that's like a race against the clock thing. Like when you were breaking down like the handoffs and stuff, I, I was, was getting anxious. I was and getting I knew so I was like biting my lip the whole time. Yep. It's it's called the 1925 Serum Run to Nome. It's also known as the Great Race of Mercy and the Serum Run. Um so if you have if you want to do further reading on it, um it's it's super interesting. I'll we'll for sure post a map. This is one that like requires mappage. Yeah, um, Nome is is like you said, pretty far north. Yeah, and it's it's right almost to like the um, the Bering Strait. Like it's almost you can almost see Russia from Balto's house. Yeah, from that's why <laughs> Boris is there. How do you think Boris is there? He's a neighbor. Um, yeah. So I was. This um, is super fun. I'm actually really glad you told the story. It makes me happy. The good boys. Oh Jesus. Uh, but it made me feel guilty being like, I'm like, I love the movie Balto. It was, I remember I got Balto on VHS in like my Easter basket when I was like six. Nice. Which I don't ever remember. Like, yeah, like five or six. I don't remember ever. Like, I don't remember any other like Easter gift I ever got. I have no big memory of getting any other Easter gifts, but I know for a fact Balto came in my Easter basket. Nice. Thank you, Easter Bunny. Yes. For bringing me a nice baby boy Balto. Um, this has been just what a, what a lovely, wonderful, feel good story right here. Um, if you guys feel good, uh, throw us throw us some. Uh, if you want to give us some pats and scritches and treats, you can do that in the form of reviews on Apple Podcasts or Scritcher Stitcher. <laughs> <laughs> now you said scritches. I'm confused on Stitcher or check out our Patreon. You can go to Arcade Audio and leave reviews. We love seeing those. They're super helpful to help people find the podcast and we do fan Fridays on our Instagram. Go check yeah, we'll those feature, out. We'll feature your, your feedback and um, shoot us some DMS, go to our email to let us know if you want to hear more about a certain topic or something we haven't covered yet. Or yep. that email is shared history podcast at gmail.com. And on Insta and Twitter, we are at shared pod for any questions, corrections, corrections or suggestions. suggestions. Uh, and that uh, Patreon is patreon.com slash arcade audio. Um, be sure to... The live episode that we recorded a couple weeks ago, uh, you may have heard, we are going to be releasing that as a bonus episode uh, to our Patreon patrons. Um, just so, be sure to, to select shared history when you go on that Patreon. Yeah, just so that we know that you love us. Um, and that's... Uh, and that's all. That's all she wrote. Go give Balto statue a good pat. It's 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 December. It's wintry. Everyone, stay warm out there. Go get some hot chocolate, and, and we'll share, share you later. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.